Today we continue our sermon series with what is probably the biggest stressor in many people's lives as we talk about money and our view of money and how God views money. This sermon was originally recorded at January 17th at Castle Rock Middle School. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now we're continuing our sermon series. I'm going to try and do two things. Hold, hold the clicker and the microphone in one hand. So we'll see the best. At least I can have one that moves around. So we're continuing our series. The first one that we talked about is not really about what is making things simple. We're talking about what is the most important things in your life and what actually matters. So in that regard, like time is not really that valuable. Your goal is not to go live on an island and have extra time. If I had 10 extra years to live by myself on an island, I'd rather have 10 less years and spend it doing the things that I think are most important, spending time with my family and growing in my relationship with the Lord. So time itself isn't valuable. It's just valuable because it allows you to do stuff that you think is important. Uh, same thing is true with your stuff. Stuff, as we looked at, here's the video that I took. Has anyone seen The Incredibles? Okay, so here's a video that reminds me of stuff. So I don't know if it'll automatically play or not. Is there volume on that? So I'll give you commentary as it's going because people online cannot see. Okay. Mr. Incredible just discovered Kronos' secret place. And since he's a tech wizard, he gave it the most difficult password ever. speed ahead, so now he's seeing that Syndrome wants to destroy the world. And he hired a graphics company to put in the system so he can remind himself what's going to happen in 10 minutes. His wife now cannot find him, so she hits his beaker. This is what I think of when I have too much stuff. You ever feel like, you know, like a little bit is good and you got like something on your hand, but then suddenly you got more and more stuff and it starts to change your life and it takes away essentially what we're getting at. Your freedom to be able to do and spend the time and your effort and your money on things that matter. So when you're talking about stuff, that I think that's totally true because if you have a lot of stuff, you got to spend more time in maintenance. You have a lot of stuff, you got to spend time looking for things. You got a lot of stuff. It's just kind of in the back of your mind and we probably more practical than normal last week, we just said tidying up on some levels kind of opens up your brain so that you can spend it on the important things. Okay. This week, though, uh, we're talking about something I think that hits home even more. And if you talk about stresses in your life, my guess is the main stress in your life wouldn't be time, although that's a big stress. I'm guessing the biggest stress in your life probably is not even your stuff, although the people who were surveyed said that that caused some kind of stress. You don't even realize all the stuff you have causes stress. I'm guessing that across America, the biggest stress is money. And I don't know, maybe it's not you, anyone here. Maybe it's just the people outside, you know, driving by right now that have stress with money. But my guess is that most of us, the biggest stress that in, in relationships and the biggest stress that causes um, things in our life and friction and, um, well, let me tell you a story. So 
just this happened Monday, so this is good timing. I receive, uh, not even receive in the mail from Ditech, who holds my mortgage. So we've been trying to get rid of PMI, the bane of owning a home. So this is a big deal for us. We finally get rid of it. So that means I get a letter like every other week. And I'm like, do I even open this silly letter? Well, my neighbor comes over and knocks over, hey, this got in our mailbox. And I already received a letter from them like literally the day before. So I get it and it said, here is your, I don't know the technical name for it, your escrow review for the year. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I open it up, though, and it's a check for $2,190.84, roughly. Now, to say that I was delighted would be an understatement. So I, this is like at night, Amy and I are hanging out, and I'm like showing her the check. I showed my kids. I'm like, look what happened. We were so excited. So they, they checked over our escrow, and we had overpaid according to their calculations. And we were excited, and, and I immediately went, because I said one of my goals is a 40-year-old person, I'm not 40 yet, but a 40-year-old person does not want to owe their parents, to, you know, hypothetically, money from a down payment to buy that same house. So I couldn't wait to get rid of this. I went to my spreadsheet to see how much faster this could go down, and I'm so excited because, you know, it's like lopping months off of this debt that I owe my parents, and I'm, I'm pumped we want to be done in August. So I go to bed, and... I may have been dreaming about how I could spend some of that money as I drifted off to sleep. And it's kind of pathetic, right? You know, like it's 2000 bucks, but I'm just thinking, well, I've got some goals, you know? And the, I had these two goals that fight. One is to save money to get rid of this debt. And the other goal is that cost a little bit of money to maybe get it. And so I had already planned all this stuff in my head as I drift off to sleep. Well, I wake up in the morning, do the usual routine. I sit down on my computer and I thought, you know what? I should probably double check this paperwork. Well, if you don't know how escrow analysis works, I'm sure you probably do. I did not know, so I thought I'd, I'll, I'll read through it. It says, like, make sure you have enough money for your hazard insurance, right? And then make sure you have enough for taxes. Well, they, they did some estimates on our taxes. Is, uh, taxes. It was two payments that's going to go out, February and June. And here, um, here are the two payments that we're going to look at. Oh. <laughs> How did I skip that part? Now I have to talk about it. Uh, your life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. And let me pause one second, and then I'll get to their estimated taxes for us. The, uh, as I said, your goal as a Christian, and that's what uh, my friend read my sermon later. So this is my friend as we share Dropbox. He's a pastor. He'll just call me up. He's like, hey, I read your sermon. I'm like, okay. You're supposed to tell me this before I preach it. But he said, do you think people are going to leave from your sermon thinking that they shouldn't have anything? Did you leave that? Like after, because the average person is 300,000 items, like your goal was to get down to zero. I said no, because I mentioned that Gollum, remember, he only had one item, and this is, he went from that to that, because he had one item. That was, that's his physical transformation. He has two items, apparently, as a fish and the ring at that point. So back to my taxes story. So that is not the goal as a Christian. It's just putting things in perspective with your stuff. Um, back to my taxes story. They did some estimates, and I'll, I'll do the math for you uh, right here. That was the first payment in February, they estimated. The second payment was in June, and just for you, I, I did the math for you. That's 12 cents. So they apparently were working off when the church owned the house and it didn't have to pay taxes. So now, no, don't feel bad. I still get a rebate. So it's not $2,190.84. It's like 100 bucks. So, you know, tomato, tomato, it's basically the same thing. And I did not drift to sleep that night dreaming about how I could spend the 100 You know, the Benjamin Franklin, I didn't. I didn't do that. So what does it tell us? Um, it tells me that I am supposed to, as a pastor, have things in perspective, but at the same time, money is just a tool, but it's so powerful. Like, money affects your mood. It affects um, your perspective on things. 
it causes friction in relationships. And we say, hey, we, don't, we value relationships more than money, but how many of you can think of someone who has a poor relationship because of money? I think a lot, which means that you value money over that particular relationship. So money, again, is just a tool, but it's such a powerful tool that it changes who we are. And the strangest thing is, is we're the ones who put value on money. Have you ever been to the Denver Mint? Like, money hasn't been around since Adam and Eve. Like, Adam isn't, like, they're going and they're like, hey, you owe me a fiver. I mean, that's not how it worked. There was no money, and now they have this history of money. And we're the ones who say that money determines, like, my value as a person. We're the ones who say, like, uh, money makes me feel powerful, and it does, right? If you've got money, you feel like you have some status. You feel like you have power. You feel like you have freedom. You feel, if you don't have money, fear, frustration, Um, disappointment. You ever feel those feelings? And maybe it's just the people out there. But money is so, so powerful that it affects relationships and who you are. So the section that we're going to be looking at when we talk about money is how do we move past, like, all the stats as Americans? Now, usually at this point, I I shoot up a bunch of stats. Remember, 300,000 items, or I show all these pictures. I don't think I have to do that. Do you think we're very good at spending money? We're so good at spending money. Like, we're good at a number of things. Basketball as a, as a nation and a few other things. And we're so good at spending money. And how do you think we do as savings? Do you have to put stats to show that? We're so poor at saving the money that we have. So I don't even have to show the stats. Just suffice it to say we're really good at spending money and we're really terrible at saving money, which in turn turns all this stress. So what's the cure, of course? If you need more sleep, you you sleep more, right? If you need more stuff, you just go buy it. If you're hungry, you go get food. So what is the cure in your mind to get if you don't have enough money? You just get a little bit more money, right? So they asked J.P. Rockefeller, and I've shared this quote before. Here's his quote. They said, how much money is enough? And he says, a little bit more. Now, keep in mind, J.P. Rockefeller is the first billionaire ever in America. He was the richest person on the entire planet, essentially. And he is, um, this is turn of the century, so you can imagine, if you have a billion dollars in 1900, how much money do you think, that's when you could buy, like, things for three cents. Like, I think my grandpa bought his car for 12 cents or something. So he saved up his tax money, and he bought a car, you know. So he's got a billion dollars at the turn of the century. You can imagine how filthy, unbelievably rich he was, and yet he still has that same attitude. How much money do you need? You just need a little bit more. So there's this idea that if we just get a little bit more, things are better. So we have two misnomers that I think we struggle with as Americans. Number one is that more is better. And I think, as a side note, why do you think we have so much stuff? We think we don't have enough so that if we get a little bit more, we're going to be happier. We get a little bit more stuff, it's going to, like, fulfill our life and we're going to feel complete. But the other one is we just get a different thing. But God, in his word, sometimes provides abundance. We see that. The wedding at Cana, he gives them gallons and gallons of wine. I don't know if they're sending people home with, like, Tupperware jars, like, hey, can you take some of this wine? Or, or some people say they sold it, to, you know, like, to give them a big start. In life. Who knows? Sometimes God gives abundance, but most often he gives you just enough. And I think you can think, see example after example. One example would be um, the years of plenty with Joseph. Remember, we talked about Joseph, and he saves up all this money for Egypt. And then they put some away, so what's the result? They have just enough food to take care of the nations. Probably a better example, I would think, is when they finally get out of Egypt and they go out into the desert, and they're dreaming about food, right? They say, God, will you provide for us? 
And what does God do? He says, I'm going to give you manna and I'm going to give you quail just enough for that day. So they don't just like store this stuff up. They get just enough for that day. And what would happen if they hoarded it and they saved enough for the next day? Scripture says it rotted. So here is a whole nation of people that every single day has to go like, okay, the Lord is going to give us just enough. Another example, Elisha goes to a widow's home. Do you know this story? And he says to the widow, he says, will you make me some bread? And she says, well, here's the deal. My son and I live here, and we're going to die, but I've got enough to make some bread. I've got enough oil and enough bread to make some bread. That's it. He goes, okay, make it. So she makes it. There's some trust right there. You're getting ready to die. This is the last of the last, right? And so she makes it, and then the next day what happens? There's just enough oil, and there's just enough flour to make bread again and again and again the whole time until the drought was over, which is pretty awesome. Would you even notice if God was miraculously filling your cornflakes? I thought, God could be doing this in, I, in our home. I don't even know if he is because I want notice. You know, the box is this big from Costco, and I just assume it never ends. I don't even know. I want notice. But I think I'd notice if I got all the way down to the dregs of my cash, and it's down to the Disney fund, right? You've seen that thing in my house that's spelled incorrectly. So I have the Disney fund, and we get all the way down to the bottom. We said, this is all we got to live on. And we spend it. And the next day, it's full again. Would you notice that? Would you try and, as a kid, I always thought, like, if I had that, I would just, like, pour it out and see if God fills it up like, multiple times a day or something, you know? Like, I, don't, I wonder how this works. Like, man and quail, morning and evening. I wonder, you know, you try and fill this. But just imagine if you're really sustained every single day. So what's the real issue? Is the cure that we get more stuff? There's an issue. Brene Brown, who's a researcher, calls it this. In America, we struggle from an idea of scarcity. And it's the idea that we never have enough of stuff. We never have enough. So I'll give you an example where this is true, and especially true with money. Have you ever woken up and, and said, man, I didn't get enough sleep? You ever get to the end of the day and you think, like, there is not enough hours in the day to get this stuff done. I want to get done. You ever say that weekend is not long enough? Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever said, I wish I had a little bit more money? Has this ever come across your head? Now, now with social media and things like this, it starts to shift over not only to our stuff, but it shifts over to who we are. So now you look at Facebook, and you're like, why isn't my wife hot like that? Or why isn't my husband so um, sensitive and take me on dates? Why, isn't, uh, why aren't I so pretty? Why aren't I so strong? Why aren't I so strong and, we all, uh, uh, and so smart? And why don't I have a better job? Why don't I have a nicer house? Why don't I have a nicer car? So this shifts down to every single part of your life, this idea that you don't have enough. And it's not nice enough. And so we struggle with scarcity. When the reality is, if you just take a look at your life, do you think you have an abundance of blessings, or do you think you really do lack? It's a lie if you think you don't have enough. It's just a lie that the devil convinces you to say that you don't have enough, and you've got to look at God like he shorted you, and there's no one area where this happens more than, I think, in money. Because my guess is the more money you have made, every single stage you've never said, huh, I think we're good. Has your boss ever offered you to raise, and you're like, don't need it? No, no, right? It's, uh, so J.P. Rockefeller, we're like, I can't believe he would say that, but in reality, who's the one who says that? I think we do. Like on a regular basis. So my question to you is, if you had a little bit more, what would you be doing? And what, what story are you telling yourself about your money that if you had a little bit more, you would be doing with it? 
Because we all know how we're supposed to be using our money. I mean, if you raise your kids, you're like, okay, rule number one, spend it all on yourself, go into debt so that you feel this pressure and terror for the rest of your life. Does anyone have that little talk with their kids? You sit down with your kids, and I sit down with mine. They make money. They go babysit, and I say, okay, rule number one is you save half of it. So they're like, oh, I'm saving for a Lego set. You know how long that takes when you save half of it? So half of it goes into the savings, so they have a savings account, and they can see it. So that's rule number one. Rule number two is that they have to give their offerings. So then they pick what percentage they want to give, and it's a suggested donation of 10%. So they give 10%. So if my kids are giving 10% of their babysitting money, so now they're down to what, 40%? That they can spend on any way they want. I don't care what they spend on. But for most of us, we flip it around, and they have already gotten to that spot. I wish I had a little bit more so I could do a little bit more. So if you had more money and you have a real lesson, what do you want to spend your money on? Like if you were a millionaire, so the $1.5 billion just came out, if you won, how would you spend? I bet every single one of you has this dreamy way to talk about it. I would give. I'd help people. I'd share. Why can't you do that now? Why can't you do that now? God has given you enough to do the very things that you know are the best things to do with your money. Philanthropy is the love of humankind. Why can't you do that with what you have now? God has given you enough. So it's not so much that I need a little bit more, I need a little bit more stuff. God, why aren't you providing me? I think it's an attitude that says, God, you have given me enough. And I'm going to be content with what I have. And what I use it for is going to be the same if I had a little or if I had a lot. So how would you use your money if you had a billion dollars? How are you going to use your money if you have $20,000? It's not any different. You take care of your family. You take care of humankind. You give to the things that you think are important. This is how you use your cash. We, Apostle Paul, um, when we talk about sufficiency, this comes up again. Uh, Apostle Paul says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. His advice is the exact same. If you're not content with a little, you're not going to be content with a lot. If you misuse a little, you're going to misuse a lot. So just practically speaking, I'm not going to force a book on you like I did last week. One of the most transformational things, I'll say this, though, in our, my own marriage, in our own life, was taking a Dave Ramsey course, if you've heard of Dave Ramsey. So we took this Financial Peace University, and it's got the seven baby steps. I'm not going to go through them. I don't know where you're at. But know that you're not, I'm not, as a pastor, looking to judge you. I assume that some of you, if the, the stats are normal, here's the average credit card debt, $15,000 for people who have it. Auto loans, 26000 Student loans, almost $50,000. I don't know where you're at in that perspective, and I honestly don't care. But I know your past is not your future. And some of you might be feeling awesome because you have less student debt, right? Some of you might be feeling awesome because you have less student loans. Some of you might feel terrible because you have more credit card debt. I don't know. I have more mortgage debt than that. That's not the point. The point is your past is not who you are now. God has given you enough. And you're stepping forward to say, God, in trust, I want to make steps that make this clear. And what do they say? The stats say you've got to save 15% of your stuff so that you can be ready for the future. The stats say you should have an emergency fund so you're not freaking out whenever the washer goes out. The stats say you should have three to six months of stuff saved up. Now, how does that make you feel right now? 
you either feel really awesome because you've done that or you start to feel this guilt. Money does that. Money sucks life out of you. Money makes, uh, changes your perspective. It changes your mood and it changes your value of who you think you are. Let's put money back in perspective. God has given you enough. And the biggest weight, I think, as Americans, just practically speaking, is the weight of debt. The, the Proverbs, I think, are well-spoken when they said the servant, how does it say, the debtor becomes slave to the lender, which is a reason why a 40-year-old person does not want to owe their parents money, right? And if you have debt, that is a huge, huge weight. Now, just think through this process, and I think that's where Dave Ramsey has some stuff. You don't have to follow him. Follow whoever you want. But when you finally pay off your credit card debt, you know what kind of relief that is? Have you ever written a check to pay the last of your, or sort of the auto debit for the last of your car payment? Isn't that just awesome? Some of you may have already paid off your house, which I cannot imagine the day when it says, like, I no longer owe for my house the great joy that has. Put that in perspective. There's a lady named Lynn Twist who raises money, but she has a way to say it. She says, you appreci- what you appreciate appreciates. And I think that gets put spiritually, not only physically, you appreciate the money that you have when, you, when you're chipping away and you finally pay off this great debt, but I think it's even more true spiritually when you look at what kind of Savior we have. The amount of debt that we owe the Lord for our sinfulness is so overwhelming that we just kind of push it in a corner and we forget about it. But we have a God who says who's come to this earth who, though he was rich, became poor for our sakes to pay our debt. What you appreciate appreciates And if you can understand who God is, what God has done for you to remove this debt of sin, the freedom he has given you to live, I think it helps you put in perspective. Not the necessarily abundance, but that God has given you enough. God has given you enough. And my prayer is the same prayer that the Apostle Paul gives. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Your past is your past. You've got a group of people here that are supporting you to step forward, to put money in perspective, to, to make it a tool that we can use to do the amazing things that we know we can do. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, money is so powerful. Uh, it changes who we are as a society. If you have money, you have power, and you have acceptance, and you have status. Help us put money back in perspective. This is a gift that you've given us. You give us enough, and help us to have a contented heart so they're not longing and yearning for just more and more and more. That is never satiated. Instead, give us uh, fulfillment in what you've given us. Give us wisdom to use the money that you've given us. And if we've been off track, as some of us have been off track, uh, help us get back on track so that money isn't such a powerful thing over us and that we're not slave to debtors and, and people who are lending us money. Instead, we can have a freedom to use the money to do powerful things, to help people, and to spread the gospel. We ask this in your name. Amen.